Good day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to our 11th episode of Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia. Our theme for Series 6, Taking the Australian Ecosystem from Good to Great, continues with our first news special of this series. We sit down with Spark Festival Director Maxine Sharon and Main Sequence General Partner Rescue Mike Nichols to chew through some of the developments, and there have been plenty, since our last news special more than a year ago. All the news and all of the hubs on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by MYOB. Running a startup is pretty cool, but doing the books isn't. MYOB makes it easier. For your free trial, visit myob.com slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by the University of Technology, Sydney, supporting students to become startup founders. UTS is engaging, inspiring, and connecting students to take the leap as startup founders. Check out what they're up to at startups.uts.edu.au. And This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Campaign Monitor. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com twist. How do you sum up a year in startup land? So much happens every single day that a year, well, a year can feel like a whole lifetime. Fortunately, we are joined by two individuals who are thoroughly up to the task. Mike Nichols, rescue Mike as he will henceforth be known on this podcast because he saved us from a very dire situation earlier in this series, is one of the general partners at Main Sequence VC, the CSIRO-backed fund. If you want to learn more about Mike and Main Sequence, go back and have a listen to episode two of series six. Joining Mike is someone with a long background in Australian tech. We're welcoming Spark Festival director Maxine Sharon to Twister. Welcome, Maxine. Pleasure to be here, Mark. Welcome back, Mike. Thank you so much. Very exciting. Okay. Here we are. It's the new special, Topic One, The Hub Hubbub. Okay, so two years ago, the precinct in Brisbane opened. It's this beautiful building, really well done, lovely neighborhood. And then earlier this year, the Sydney Startup Hub opened again, beautiful building, amazing community, really large space, lots of stuff going on. Three weeks ago, the goods shed opened up in Melbourne. I've been there a couple of times. Again, beautiful building, big space. And now there's Flux in Perth, which has grown from sort of a floor of Space Cube to now sort of being most of a building. Why are we seeing all of these hubs? You first, Maxine. (laughs) Why are we seeing all of these hubs? 
Well, in Australia, I think we're still struggling to work out what to do in a way. So we're seeing things like um, Silicon Valley, which gets thrown around a lot in the context of this um, new precinct in Sydney. And we're thinking that of that as a precinct and we're thinking we have to emulate it in some way. Um, I might get a little bit controversial straight away here, though, and say I would like to elide the the expression Silicon Valley from any conversations about this precinct because Silicon Valley is not really a precinct. It's a neighbourhood, something like an awful French's forest. And I don't think we... Or North Ride, even worse, basically. Well, and, and often people say Silicon Valley when really what they mean is San Francisco. And, exactly. and They don't really mean San Francisco. They mean south of market or some sort of stretch of this. And so it really is, you're right, but but it's a signifier, yeah. right? It signifies a critical density of tech people and investors and all of the other capacities that you need for startups and universities, everything. So I think to the various state government um, credits, you know, they've heard the feedback from various uh, tech party um, representatives or tech body representatives and they've done something about it and I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, After sort of six months of um, the startup hub hub here in Sydney, it's hard to imagine not having it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, it's such a serendipitous place to actually meet up with other people. Mm Lots of business gets done downstairs. You'd be surprised mm. how much business gets done in the common area downstairs in a startup hub. Well, of course, the joke is that if you have a a startup that needs funding, just take them now down to level one, which is the common area. Well, we, we have what we call VC Corner down there, which is basically <laughs> there's a couple of us that are in and out of there very regularly. Um, I, I actually see a place for this to be somewhat like the old quarter in a, um, in a in an old English or European town where you go to this quarter to get that, you mm-hmm. know, to get your gold, to get your jewellery, to mm-hmm. get your leaven work, to get... But in the startup hub, what you see is you see lawyers in this corner, marketing over here, funding and VC over here, grants down there. Right, acceleration over here. We we accelerate the process of getting startups through their first six, 12 months and turn them into growth companies. And instead of you having to scratch around and say, what do I do now? It's like, well, there's a variety of service providers. Just go choose one and get started. And so I think that's actually, I think it's actually really positive what's happened there. So it seems as though Sydney has just by process of accident, but the first floor mm, is exactly. the ma- is it's somehow the, the magic. Like when I saw that, I was like, "Wait a minute! This is someone thinking about the space as the idea for meetings." And there's this story that gets told, and I will retell it now. That when Steve Jobs was designing the Richmond facility for Pixar, what he did was everyone would have their own offices. But they wouldn't get mail delivered to their desks. The only place that you could get mail is you had to go down to the mail room, which was in the lobby. And every day, everyone would have to go to this big building and walk into the lobby. And everyone always said that was the most productive time of Mm. their day because all of those accidental things happen. Yep. Serendipity. Serendipity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways it's unfortunate that this building did need to be a multi-story building in the CBD because it's hard to get that serendipity when you just walk into a building and go upstairs in the lift. However, level one has been a great solution to that. And it's a tiny, tiny microcosm of what a precinct could actually be like, where you'd have dozens of spaces like that level one space. So... In terms of transitioning into this whole concept of building a precinct down at Central, the first thing I want to point to is that while we're talking 
about building a precinct. And a politician likes nothing so much as to be able to cut the ribbon on something, right? We just have to put that out there. It's very cynical, man. <laughs> I would call it just experiential <laughs> knowledge, Mike. Um, but but the reality of the situation is we are already living in the York Street precinct. We have, at one end, you have Blue Chili, right? And then all along, you have all sorts of startups. And you have Tyro just one street over on mm. Clarence Street. Atlassian. Atlassian all around, right? Because they filled up every space they can. All the way now to the city startup hub, which is at the other end of York Street. So don't we now de facto already have a precinct in advance of anyone building or ordering something? I, you know, until you expressed it that way, I hadn't really thought mm. of it as being a, a block in the city. Yeah. I just really thought about this building. Um, I don't think it can hurt to be down there. Um, I think most of the activity will move here from, from York Street. Um, but being right between the universities on the Central Rail network, mm. that's a really positive thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wynyard is so convenient, Central be even yeah. more so. Um, and I think there's more space down there. And, you know, certainly, as you just mentioned, that license taking up, you know, space wherever it can find it sort of thing. And if it's got more space there, it'll have more people there. Google's probably the same as multiple different companies. Right. And Canva, which research. we'll talk about later, will also be in the same position by the yeah. time. Yeah, so there's, there's a, a bunch of sort of, um, what do you say, anchor tenants right. that make a lot of sense to, you know, to, to actually fund or, or to have a, a known, what would you say, um, uh, set of um, businesses that go into that. And hopefully there'll be more growth companies that join them. So Absolutely. I think it's actually yeah. it's a good thing. And I think what you said there about it being a bit accidental up mm. around York Street mm. as well, because until we had the conversation five minutes before this recording, I hadn't made the connection no. between all those things being there. So I think a little bit of engineering is required to create those marketplaces that will join or make it into a precinct rather than just a bunch of um, silos. But it almost means that you could have... a. And we'll talk about Spark Festival further on, but you could have a Spark Festival event, which is sort of the walking tour of York Street, you know, and everyone sort of opens up for an open house day and you go here and then you go over to Airtasker and you go over to Absolutely. Chile. Absolutely. And if someone is out there and, and to Springboard and so on and so forth. It's like, that's the kind of thing that just get people walking around yeah. so that they just know, oh my gosh, everything is here and all this stuff is going on. Yeah, and everything's connected. Remember as well, though, only six months ago, <laughs> fish, fish burners was down there. Yes. Not very far from the, the mm. space they're talking yeah. about. And that was the centre of the universe six months ago. And in six Things months... can change. In six months, okay. it will be the UTS Startups building, right? Because yeah, that right. exact yeah. same building, in some sort of weird karmic cycle, Murray Herps will be back in there yeah, running is U- weird, isn't it? Yeah. UTS <laughs> Startups in that same building. And so there are gravitational centres. You're absolutely right about this. The thing that I'm wondering and I'll ask you about is that with each of these projects, with the possible exception of Perth, although Perth has definitely had support from state government, it's very much dependent upon consistent leadership from state government to make this happen. And now, one of the things that I've noticed is that Philip Daladakis has been the minister in charge of startup-y things in Victoria for four years I don't know if we've had one in New South Wales for more than a year or two because it's considered a stepping stone position. Yeah, you do okay in the portfolio and we'll kick you upstairs. You can get something that's important. 
And between the idea of a revolving door and changes of government across the seven to 10 years that it's going to take to build a hub at Central, are we really setting ourselves up for something that's doable or are we setting ourselves up for something that will disappoint us? Uh, as a quasi-Commonwealth government employee, I don't comment on government policy. Yes. Um, but I think it would be fantastic that uh, I think it would be an awesome thing if somebody was to actually make a long-term decision like that that mm. might survive multiple terms of government or multiple sides of government. Um, I think that would be a fantastic initiative. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. How do, Maxine, how do we frame that so that the politicians are both really excited about it in both parties, but are also completely terrified about cutting the funding for it. Yeah, Because I think that's the kind of game there, right? Jobs and votes. Those things combined, I suppose. They do love an infrastructure project. So don't leave that out of the equation. Good jobs for the future. Make it exciting. Make it about um, bringing talent to Australia as mm. well. To not to take Australians' jobs, of course, but to inspire the next generation of Australian startups and people who want to work in startups, and most importantly, to build connection between Australia and the rest of the world. Because I feel we're still very much at risk of being this insular little backwater that's yeah. a long way from anywhere. And policies that are actually about stopping people coming here and taking our jobs only really add to that kind of thinking. Mm. And it's a lot of feedback I'm sure everyone in this room gets from people who come to Australia who love the lifestyle here and how exciting Sydney is. But it's still got a bit of an insular outlook in yes. many ways. So I um, was lucky enough to see a speech twice, actually, but slight variations on it um, from Sam Cecilia at Host Plus, who's the chief investment officer of Host Plus, best performing fund for the last 20 years. Um, and he spoke about the need for sort of bilateral support for our technology agenda mm. in order to try to see past the, the short term viewing of a sort of election cycle. And... Um, if somehow we could get that across this this precinct, that would be an ideal outcome, I think. So some of that then is selling it to the politicians, but then another part of it is actually selling it to the public. And this is very so. much what one of the goals of Spark Festival was, right? In fact, it still is very yeah. much so. Spark Festival is for anyone who's either getting started or going global. It's right across that journey. However, I think our absolute core strength is in fact making the startup ecosystem open and available to people who aren't necessarily in it already. And we have many, many events that I'll wax lyrical about a little bit later in the program that do that. Right. It was, it was an interesting side story to this show too. I recently met with a team out at um, UWS. Mm-hmm. It turns out they've got about 130 startup mm. associations out there and they're almost opening up their campuses to startups that may or may not be overly affiliated with the university from a student perspective, they're actually creating spots out there for people that are doing startup activities that are driving advanced manufacturing and all sorts of mm, things out in New Delhi, out in Western Sydney. Um, right. I guess the belt from Parramatta through to Penrith. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, um, in particular, uh, one of the ex-incubate people, um, they've given him a workshop to um, renovate 
a drilling rig that he's using for a particular project, you know, which is a truck-sized piece of equipment. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you look at that and you think, wow, actually, I didn't know about that, and I think I know what's going on in the local scene, mm. but you've got 130 companies out here that I didn't know about. And there's actually real action happening out there. So there's an interesting little side bit there with, like, okay, the, 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 the hub in, in Central is going to be great. I'm really supportive of that. But, whoa, there's all this other stuff yeah. that's happening out in the western suburbs that we just didn't know about, right. which I think is quite interesting. This, I think there's two interesting takeaways from that. One is that maybe the startup community is starting to get so vital that you can't be across everything, and that that's, and that's actually a, a sign of it being good. I, there was a point on the web. I was across literally mm-hmm. the entire web in 1993 because it was possible. <laughs> it's but true. It's, it was absolutely possible. And then around February 94, I was like, okay, never mind. This is too big now. And that was a sign yeah. that it was becoming vital and taking didn't, off. Why didn't you write a bit of software with index that? That, that would have been good. Just say it. it would, I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation would, right now. It but if you had it done that, things might have been different. There was this thing. There was this thing called um, Dave and Jerry's Internet Directory that yeah, I started but, using. Yeah. That later on rebranded itself as Yahoo. What an idea! Oh, exactly. I know. And so by around February, they they, they 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 were on the directory thing, so I didn't need to worry. About okay. That. Yeah. Cool. I uh, know opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> Opportunities lost. All right, we're going to pause right there and we will come back and we're talking to Maxine Sharon and Mike Nichols on our news update on This Week in Startups Australia. MYOB saves businesses time, helps improve cash flow, gets invoices paid faster, gives real-time visibility of profit and loss, and makes payroll easy. With MYOB, you can create, send, and track customized invoices. This is awesome because Australian businesses can wait on average 43 days to get paid. With MYOB, your clients can pay you directly from your invoices. People who use the MYOB online invoicing solution get paid four times faster. MYOB software will let you know when you've been paid, then update the accounts. You don't have to lift a finger. MYOB's online solutions make pay runs quick and easy, ensuring all of your tax and super payments are compliant with the Australian Tax Office. You can save half a day every month on processing employee pay. MYOB's mobile app means you can create a quote on the job, send invoices straight from the app, and even get paid on the same day you invoice. 1.2 million businesses in Australia and New Zealand use MYOB. Startups, sole traders, and small businesses, all the way up to companies with hundreds of staff. Whatever your stage or size, MYOB has a solution for you. Twista listeners will get a free 30-day trial, and the first 50 people to sign up will also get $100 in cash. Go to myob.com slash twista for your free trial today. We're back talking to Maxine Sharon and Mike Nichols on This Week in Startups Australia news special. Okay, so 
every time I have a conversation with someone, they're like, oh, I've started a fund. And I, mean, I literally had two conversations like that from people last week. So there are funds everywhere now, which is a good thing because we certainly weren't having those conversations a couple of years ago. What does this mean, Mike? What does this mean? Um, yeah, everyone has a fund. You're right. You've, there are a lot of people that pre-announce funds in this country, which is sort of a, a subject of a running joke from VC Dundee, one of the popular Twitter characters. Um, what does that mean? I think that um, Series Seed and Series A right. are looking pretty good. Um, but to be frank, there's still a lot of money concentrated in four or five, maybe six funds. Yes. Um, so if you don't suit one of those, then you know you may still have some issues. I think maybe there's less angel funding around. It's my perception there's less angel funding around um, or maybe not as much activity. Right. Um, there's a couple of good angel investors in Sydney. Um, I'm not sure about the rest. Oh, there's one or two good ones in Melbourne. Um, and then obviously you've got a few out of uh, River City Labs in, in Brisbane. But I, I, I just get the perception that the angel aspect hasn't kept up as much as um, as what you've seen as far as uh, formal funds um, uh, in the VC space. So, Maxine, we both got to see Jason Calacanis, the patron saint of this podcast. <laughs> of angels. <laughs> and of angels. Um, in action when he came to Sydney, and he did a day called Angel University. And it was, and I remember the day because it had it was the worst weather we've had in Sydney in quite some time. Cold, dark, yeah. rain blowing Last sideways. It's been it drought was, ever since. Yeah, it was. It was just. It was a horrible day, and I expected because Sydney Siders being Sydney Siders, he'd be talking to a room full of six people. Mm-hmm. And I get in there, and I open the door, and it's standing room. There are so many people who are eager to learn the basic skills and the rules of the road to be angel investors. So. Is there, do, are we seeing a space around being able to create and grow angel investors by giving them those tools? I thought it was a fantastic event. And I'll just even um, say before that, that I was a bit skeptical about it, to be honest. I'm a bit of an Aussie mm. and I feel like we can do a lot of this stuff ourselves. And I don't like people parachuting in from elsewhere to tell us stuff. <laughs> you can cut that bit out if you like. No. <laughs> So I went into it completely sceptical, but I got a free ticket to go along on the day and I was utterly charmed by the whole experience. I thought Jason brought a level of um, credibility and um, uh, rigour. I was going to say, he's quite no-nonsense. Very Mm. rigorous. But then on top of that, he had levity added into it. And I know this is going to be a little bit controversial, but... He stripped away the ego from it. You genuinely got the impression that he wanted each of those startups that he was critiquing their pitch, no matter how crazy they were, the guy who was Airbnb for drug mules, awesome idea, or is it Uber for drug mules? I don't know. He cool, was, it was Airbnb that. because <laughs> you were renting space in people's, people's suitcases. suitcases. It yet. was completely oh, unforgettable. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like he was, and he brought that rigour to his critique yeah. That I think a lot of Australians who sit there critiquing other people's pictures could have learned from on the day. Thought it was fantastic. I, I find it interesting that you think he stripped away the ego because as much as I like him and I've listened to so many of his podcasts, ego is not something that's normally absent. I um, know. Having but said you... that, one thing in his favour is he always appears to be on the side of a startup founder. Yes. And he always seems to um, uh, to be 
you know, pushing to help the startup founder, and I like that. So, yeah. I mean, I think the way we're going to put this is Jason definitely has a healthy ego, but having worked with him when he's working with a startup, whether he's tuning their pitch, there is no ego in that, right? Completely so I think, agree. And, and so that's actually a sign of, I guess we'd call it a healthy ego, in that it comes out yeah. when it comes out. But when it's not appropriate, when it would get in the way, he mm. knows to put it aside. So Now, I missed that event, which I'm disappointed about. But um, my view on it is actually I'll listen to anybody I think I can, I can learn something from. Mm. So I don't care where they come from. Yep. Um, so I, I would have been happy to see that. But yeah. I've listened to about 400 of his podcasts now, so maybe I've got the story. Well, I mean, it, it was interesting because I've seen the Angel University Day. I've seen him do that a lot over the years. And he just gets more refined because he has more examples mm, to pick from about exactly. how he did this or what he, what he learned from that. But the basic thing is exactly the same. And that's why you can do a university because you kind of know what you have to take people through mm. around that. And it feels like if we want to plug the gap in Angel, because I, I agree with you, I think there's a gap in Angel, mm. then we need to be able to do that kind of education. And, you know, maybe we'll be able to get him back out here I think it's interesting that that, that, um, the room was full as you say packed Um, I'm not sure I'm seeing that in activity I'm not sure I'm seeing that translate into companies funded no, I agree I with you. Be wrong, but I, I'm just—it's mm-hmm. not my perception. No, I agree with you, and I think that the, some of that is around. We're probably going to have to start building up syndicates and getting people comfortable with this. You can see. Well, what, that's an interesting story. I would say if you talk about syndicates, yeah. very active in US. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the mechanism for that here is. Like, are you able to do an angel list um, managed syndicate, but under Australian law? That's not clear to me. But that would be pretty interesting, I think, to get that first, you know, sort of 100K full of 10K checks. Mm. And I think maybe that's where we're going to have to go if we want to see this grow as Mm. a Mm. thing. We're going to have to find people who will push the boundaries for that. And I think Jellix is the beginning of that, right? Right, okay. So, but, I mean, again, Andrea's kind of doing stuff that hasn't been done before. so, So I think she's learning, and when she's learned enough, we'll be able to take that. And we had Andrea on not that long ago on the show to really talk about the Jellix model and why it's different. All right. So let's move up a little bit. We now have, and I'm very happy to report, a brand new baby unicorn in this country, Canva. We all know Canva. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. So when I was working as entrepreneur in residence at Incubate earlier this year, uh, two lovely scientist engineers who are doing their first pitch deck. And when James Alexander and I were watching the pitch deck and our eyes were bleeding because it was a pitch deck that had been designed by engineers, James's only comment was, as soon as this meeting ends, you will go to canva.com and you will purchase a design. <laughs> Which they then did. And the next time we had our pitch mm. meeting, we're like, oh, <laughs> thank you. And, you know, what did they spend? Probably $50 or something. Mm. And yet, they solved a huge problem. And to me, this is like the entire use case. This is why Canva exists as a product because there are a lot of people who are not designers but who need access to high quality design. And Canva has somehow solved that problem to the tune of now being worth, I guess, at their latest investment round, a billion dollars. So Mike, does unicorn status matter either to a company or to an ecosystem? Both of those. 
Oh, look, I think it's, it's important. It's not important from an absolute dollar perspective. It's important because it symbolises that um, they're on their way to IPO. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important for investors. It's important for all the staff. It's important for the ecosystem to know that we've got successful exits on their way. Right. Um, and so I think that that is important. And then there's a flow back or flow down, trickle down effect from that because from that will come a whole bunch of staff millionaires, a whole mm-hmm. bunch of very wealthy founders. And you're starting to see this, for example, with Atlassian. Absolutely. Now you're seeing they're pushing money back into the system here. They're investing in local companies. Yeah. Very, very active, both of them in that. And so if you fast forward two years and if they continue on their current growth rate, you know, the likely outcome is either they have an IPO or they have a um, you know somebody like a SoftBank come in and liberate some of that capital yeah. for them, and then you'll see that cycle start again. And if we start to get four or five of those going at once, you'll start to see a very active, um, what do you say, flowing effect in new startups as well. Not just the ones that they're funded, but also the ones that their staff will eventually exactly. leave the company, come right. back to the ecosystem. Oh, we've had an IPO. It's boring now. Let me go and do the next cool thing. Well, no, but yeah. it's just like I've done something. Yeah. I've got mm. some money. I actually now get the opportunity to go and do my own thing. Yeah. And that may be encouraged and supported by the, the various you know unicorn companies as well. And so you get that whole uh, virtual circle or cycle that um, you'll find new millionaires come into town. They set up a business. Bang, off they go. And there's another new company that's going to grow fast. It's got its own capital to seed itself. Yeah. They know what a fast growth company looks like. Because they've because been in one. you don't know what a fast, company growth, yeah. a, car, a fast growth company looks like until you've actually been in one yeah. or seen one, yeah. then you don't really understand. You know, like recently I saw um, 32 pictures in the last two days around students. Actually, no, more than that. It's been more than 50 because I did three different um, events this week, four different events this week. And so um, some of them were putting up, we have revenue, you know, we're planning to have revenue in year three of, um, you know, $90,000. And I just went, that's not fast growth. Um, I'm sorry, but we need to sort of up your ambition here. But if they've been in something like a Canva or an Invato or an Atlassian, they know what fast growth is. They're going to come back here. We're going to start companies. Right. And that's really exciting. Uh, So, Maxine, you and I have known Cam Adams. I know, since he was a boy. For dog's years, as we'd say. And the first time I ever saw Cam speak publicly was at Web Directions. Absolutely. And you were the co-producer of that. And you immediately knew, A, that he was bright, and B, that he was a bright guy, a uh, nice guy, and C, that he was destined for great things. It's true, isn't it? So what is Canva doing right? I actually think it's into um, Mike's point that um, they've been obsessed with hiring the best talent, Mm -hmm. not just from Australia, but from all over the world. And they've been working on that for the last, I'm going to say, three years in particular. And it's really paying off. When you go in there, it's like a little United Nations of tech stars. So it has that fantastic feeling. Yeah, feeling to it. And then the flow on from that is well, first of all, they're going great guns because they've got this great talent and they've attracted them to Sydney. But there'll be all these things that come from that. Already, people, you know, they get their resident status and they move on from Canva. Maybe not such a great thing for Canva, but I'm sure they get used to it. 
great for the ecosystem. They stay on in Australia. And that's why we need these other startups to arise as well to provide jobs for people like that. But I think Mike's point is a really fantastic one too, that those people, once they've got a little bit of money behind them, they're in Australia, they're loving it, we've got a great scene here, they'll start their own enterprises. And that's, that's organic ecosystem growth. You know what I mean? That doesn't require the government to build a precinct, that no. sort of thing. I, I guess I'd go um, uh, a step further, just to your mm. point about people leaving. I've always said that you know running a startup is like driving the 389 bus from Circular Quay through to Bondi Junction. Um, not everybody's there for the whole journey. People get on and <laughs> they off get the off bus. They get off in five ways. Okay, as a bus driver, you've just got to accept that they're not coming to the same place as you, or yeah. not all of them. And you'll get new good ones on and new good ones off. <laughs> There's not much you can do about it. You want to try and keep them, but yeah. it, it is a natural part of life. Yeah. And you can't get upset about it. <laughs> so, But I guess to go a step on Canva, one unusual thing there for me was that very early they got themselves an evangelist in the US mm-hmm. who had a very high profile, mm-hmm. uh, Guy Kawasaki. Guy Kawasaki, the first evangelist. Right. right. So right. if you like him or you don't like him, it doesn't really matter. The yeah. guy had a massive following. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest problems that I see with most of the startups I meet is they lack a distribution strategy. They lack a, a strategy to get their name out into the market, right. to, to become popular, to work out how to build the business. Most people can build a product. Okay, most people can maybe build a product that a few people like. Not very many people can sell enough of that product to actually stay in business. Mm. From a very early stage, they worked out a distribution strategy that got them on the map. Now, they've got others now, I'm sure, but that was actually an unusual thing to see a local Australian business take on a global evangelist to help get their product out. And I think that's actually pretty interesting. So I emceed an event where Cam Adams gave a keynote on Friday. I just want to sort of conclude this segment with two points that he made. The first point that he made, and I think this will help him as he sees his employees leave, is he believes that you should say yes to opportunity. Yeah. And so I think if he's working with his staff right, then he will be happy. He, you know, he may be sad to see them go, but he will be happy if he knows that they're saying yes. The other point he left us with, and I think this goes to the culture at Canva, is he said, don't work for our sats. <laughs> Simple. Well, on that note. <laughs> Next topic and our final topic. So, Zooks, this famous decloaked self-driving car startup that's ga- – I don't know how much they've – they've raised a lot of money and they – Well, their last round was $500 million, just right. to put that in perspective. So, half a billion dollar round. It's a lazy half I, bill. I, has any – a startup in Australian history ever raised a half a billion dollars in a round? Uh, only if they dig stuff out of the ground. <laughs> okay, I don't know but not a tech startup. I don't believe there's been any tech startup that raised that. We've had, um, in very, very early days, we sold a Wi-Fi startup for 570 Australian. That was 15 years ago, I think. Yeah. I'm not aware of anybody who's raised that big round. Okay, so they uh, do that. Unless they've done an IPO. And six weeks later... They fire the CEO mm. under uh, – no one really knows. At least no one's com- commenting publicly on what happened. And I'm not saying that we should start to speculate other than the look of the thing, that you get your money and then you immediately lose the founder. Mike, if you were one of the backers who signed that check for $500 million, how would you be feeling right now? 
Well, my understanding was that they were in the room and they ran the process. So <laughs> I, um, I, oh. I could be wrong, okay. but that's my understanding. They were board representatives. Right. And, um, I don't know the person. I don't know the company. Obviously, we know people that have been involved in the investment. Um, I sort of liken it to um, uh, it's like keeping wild animals for pets. Everybody loves wild animals, right? <laughs> they like to look at them. They like to, um, you know, to be involved in them, but they're pretty hard to keep around the house. And so if you've got somebody that's crazy enough, and, and when I say crazy, I mean that in a good way, um, that's visionary enough, crazy enough to actually build a company like that, that actually can be a bit hard to deal with. Maybe sharp elbows. Um, maybe very forceful about how they do business. And... Um, I think possibly we got to that point. Maxine, we recently, I think it was only a week ago, we saw Elon Musk pop onto Joe Rogan's show and like live on camera, light up a blunt and share it with Joe. And I want to point out for our listeners that nothing like that, going nothing on like that is going on in this room right now. Now, where he did it, because he was doing it in California, it is legal to smoke cannabis. But it did still rattle a lot of people who I think were looking for some stability and sobriety, maybe, is a word. How do we square this circle with what we want people to be, which is to be stable and reliable and yet at the same time be visionary and all of that? Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't that troubled by it, to be honest. I mean, I'm not an investor in Tesla, I suppose. But um, I thought people should sort of keep their hair on about it as a, as... As said, it was in California. It's completely legal action. Would someone have got upset if the guy had a glass of wine? It'd be a total non-story. So I see this as a non-story. And maybe it says something about how out of touch I am with how conservative the world is, that people were even outraged by this in any way. I'm, Were they I, outraged? Look, you know, I wasn't outraged. But <laughs> at the same time, I don't own any Tesla stock either. Um, but what I'd say to you is that <clears throat> whether it's legal, that's cool, no problems, whatever. But there's been a lot of controversy around him in the recent mm. times. Yes. And I just sort of think, why do you have to poke that bear? Well, you know, exactly. What, what's the point? Is there any win in that? I don't think there is. Mm. And so a glass of wine, yeah, maybe. But, you know, geez, I'm not sure I'd want to be videoed having a glass of wine either, to be honest. Um, I agree with know. that, yes. And so I I think, you know, you've got to admire the guy, fantastic vision. Yeah. You know, you, sitting here with my investor hat on, it's hard to know whether it's going to be the world's biggest set of companies or whether it's going to be a, a, a flaming mess. Right. Um why choose? And he's under a lot of pressure, right? He's, you know, and, but he's shipping product too, yeah. so you've got to admire that. Um, but I would I have done it? No, I wouldn't have done it. But then, you know, hey, what the hell? The guy launches rockets. What can I say? Absolutely. Would you have launched a rocket? <laughs> Do we have to accept, but I think also figure out how to work with the fact that megalomania is the occupational disease of the high-risk entrepreneur? I think we do. I think the trouble is, and we sort of, I, I personally screen for a bit of that craziness because... Um, as a positive or a negative? As a positive. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, and you look at it and you say, I know what I'm getting into here. I know that that person has a bunch of characteristics which make him super suitable for this job, but at the same time have a bunch of characteristics that are going to make him really hard to live with or her really hard to live with. So um, I actually think... 
and 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 quite often those two, you know, you, you've got to keep them separate in your mind because, you know, we, you know, for example, we've got founders that we've invested in that we know are difficult to work with, mm. but part of the reason we like them is because they are super aggressive and they go hard after a target. Where that might break down is, you know, people look at it and say, oh, that person's so aggressive and mm. it turns into a news cycle or whatever. And, and so that, you know, that's a little hard to live with. But as you say... So you're playing with fire. Basically what you're saying is you're playing with fire and you're always having some risk of being burned. If they were normal, if they stayed, <laughs> and when I say normal, average, yeah. unappealing, not standing out, not special, yeah. you wouldn't have invested. Yeah. All right. Final question for you folks. Let's take a look at the next six months. What are you expecting to see out of the next six months in Startup Land? Oh, gosh, we're, we've got so many good candidates at the moment right. for investment. We're and you have an out. announcement about oh, yeah, a fund, yeah. right? So um, we, we, it was announced last week, but this is just a follow-up announcement. Um, uh, we have raised $232 million for Main Sequence Ventures, a combination of uh, the original CSIRO money, government money, and also Host Plus has um, uh, been very uh, kind to support us, which is fantastic. And... Um, Sovereign Wealth Fund as well, and uh, some private money on top of that. So, 232 is a fantastic result, and that's so, on top of the original. No, in total, in total, okay. 232. Yeah. Wow, so, that's still a huge quarter billion dollars. It's probably it's probably one of the top three or four funds in Australia. I would say maybe five. I'm not sure, but so I think that's very promising because there is a, an avenue now for deep tech founders to to get funding for things that maybe take a little bit longer than a, a marketplace or a SaaS app um, so oh you know three years there, I'll be making ninety thousand dollars yeah anybody that's out there just ping me you can find me on Twitter or you can um, yeah you can pitch me at the fund so yeah Maxine Mike thank you very much for joining us on this new special on this week in Startups Australia hey thanks mate thank you The University of Technology, Sydney, recognizes the incredible potential of the next generation of Australian startup founders. UTS believes entrepreneurship is about doing, inspiring students to take that first step on their founder journey, then encouraging them to keep going. UTS Startups supports student founders from ideation stage to launch with one-on-one mentorship and guidance to support them from across the entire startup ecosystem. This new UTS startup model focuses on connecting each founder with what they need, when they need it, as well as forging connections between members of the UTS startups community. Go see their vibrant collaboration space on Harris Street in Ultimo or visit startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. We recently launched a new segment for Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia, asking all of the many incubator and accelerator programs running across the country to spruik their programs to twist the listeners in their own words. This week, we'll hear from Maxine Sharon, the force behind Spark Festival. Maxine, what's happening? I'm obviously looking forward to Spark Festival. 
which is coming up in just a few weeks' time between October 19 and November 4. Now, I'm thinking most people out there listening to this would know all about Spark Festival, but just in case, it's a celebration of Australian startups. Now, what does that mean? We uh, feature the um, achievements of the startups, but we also make it um, something that's available to anyone who would like to consider, you know, running, being entrepreneurial, basically. Um, so what we've got on this program, we've got stuff for kids. We've got robotics workshops in Manly. We've got a coding code club out in Blacktown. We've got a session on recycling waste in Rhodes, which is in the middle of those two spaces. So we're all over Sydney. We're also all over New South Wales. We've got events in Lismore, my old hometown on the Lean Canvas has come to Lismore. We've got events in Bega, again on recycling waste, which actually this thing about sustainability came up quite a bit in the program. Um, elsewhere in New South Wales as well, lots and lots and lots of activities in Newcastle. But most importantly, in some ways, we've got lots of activity in this hub that we're sitting in right now, the Sydney Startup Hub. So um, I advise anyone who's got any curiosity whatsoever to head along to sparkfestival.co. You will find a welcoming place, an inclusive place. Um, if you've got an idea, bring it along to Spark Festival, see what can happen with it. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform, complete with simple drag-and-drop email editor and award-winning 24-7 customer service. Campaign Monitor gives you everything you need to run beautifully designed, professional email marketing campaigns to grow your business. With their gallery of beautiful, professionally designed email templates, all of which look amazing on every device, you're bound to find something that will make your brand pop. And since Campaign Monitor uses detailed lists and smart segments, your messages instantly drive more engagement. No wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide. And it's rated highest in customer satisfaction among major email marketing software vendors. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com twist. Listeners who sign up and become a customer will receive a free t-shirt. Again, that's campaignmonitor.com twist. We've been doing Twist and News specials since the series launched five years ago. But it seemed as though back then there was simply less news to cover, so we could do a few every series and we felt like we were staying on top of things. Now, everywhere you turn, there's another story about startups and the startup ecosystem. And it feels as though, although we've only just gotten around to telling the story this series, we could make every episode another investigation of startup news in Australia. We won't do that. We're happy bringing you the best stories of all of the startups in the country, but there are other great news sources that you want to use to keep up to date on startups. 
Big thanks to Twister sponsors MYOB, UTS, and Campaign Monitor. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to Mike Nichols and Maxine Sharon for joining us on this episode. We've rebuilt and relaunched our website at TWISTartupsAUS.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, and all the links to all the stories. So check it out at TWISTartupsAUS.com. We'll be back in a week or so with more great stories from the heart of Australia's startup community. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia. 